So today uh, we're wrapping this series up with uh, one last conversation. Um, we said all throughout this series that this has been three churches going after one topic. Um, and there's actually um, the other churches, Western Hills and Countryside, are actually having conversations like this today um, as well. Um, so I actually want to invite uh, Bob Clifton and Becca Goodwin to come up and join us on the stage. Um, they're, gonna, they're the experts. They're the ones who are going to fix everything that I've broken over the last four weeks. Um, but I'm going to in- introduce them here um, in a second, uh, or they're, they're going to introduce themselves here in a second. But they, um, uh, Bob and Becca actually helped um, us with the creation of this series. Whenever we, um, uh, uh, Pastor Grant and Nate, sat, we sat down and put this, get together the teaching series. Uh, I sent it to them because I didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> I, did, I wanted um, some, some input, so they actually helped us uh, with this series, and they're, they're back to kind of close the circle here um, and finish up this series with us. So, Bob, Becca, thank you for being here. Would you introduce yourselves to Grace Point um, real quick, and then we'll jump in. Uh, my name is Becca Goodwin, and I'm married. I have a 10-year-old son, Benjamin, and a 6-year-old going on 15 uh, Savannah, and I've been in counseling for six years um, and started private practice two years ago during COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, best time to start a business. Um, so, yeah. Good. And Becca and her family attend Grace Point here. Some of you know Becca as well, but Bob? Uh, yeah, my name's uh, Bob Clifton, born and raised here in Topeka, uh, married to my wife, Kathy, 22 years. I've got a 20 year old daughter uh, at K State, and I've got a uh, Uh, 17-year-old son at Seaman High School, and I have uh, Restored Counseling Services. I am co-founder, and we are just about two years old right now. So you both started your kind of own thing right in COVID. Yes. It was all the Lord. I would not have done that on my own. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's just jump right in with this, Okay. Um, here's the first question. If I trust God, why am I struggling to manage my anxiety and why do I need medication as well? Well, take the, those as two separate questions. One of the, something I would say in regards to our anxiety right now that I've been paying close attention, I noticed that when COVID really got traction, that the more that I was paying attention to news, social media, I was actually beginning to feel more ramped up. So I began to realize as I was moving along, there is a quantity that I need to be learning and understanding from the news. And then there is time that I need to be spending connecting to the Father. And I say that we always wanna be connecting to the Father, but I think as things uh, dialed up a notch and obviously just kept getting worse, that it grew more important to have more intimacy with the Father to combat everything that was going on in regards to the anxiousness I think a lot of us were feeling in this unknown. Why don't you answer the medication question? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Um, I think there's a stigma out there regarding medication, and I, I'm not against it, because um, sometimes I feel like we just need a little bit of help to get to a place where we can do the hard work. Um, I'm going to kind of be a little bit of a nerd here. 
Anxiety is a nervous system response. Our, our nervous system is wired into our brain. Um, God wired us for survival. And so ultimately what's happening is there's something in your environment that's causing your nervous system to respond and react. So medication actually kind of helps calm and allows you to think a little bit more clearly than you would without it. So I, I, again, I know there's a stigma out there regarding medication, but again, it, sometimes we just, we just need it to get to the place where we can do the hard work. So it's not necessarily the cure-all, right. it's a, it's a band-aid or a, a bridge mm -hmm. to help get us to a place where we can start thinking clearly yeah. or we can do some of the hard work. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add about that piece? Okay. I think Becca got it done. She perfect. nailed it. She absolutely nailed it. Um, do weight and depression go hand in hand? Becca. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, weight and depression can go hand in hand. Weight loss and also weight gain um, can, can be a result of it. And you got a little nerdy during the uh, nine o'clock service. I'll let you talk about cortisol. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. It's not directly related to the weight gain, but I came home like during COVID and I told my wife, I said, I think I see more people smoking in their car right now. And she's like, I don't think you're right. Uh, I said, no, I think that people are smoking more. Pastor Tim mentioned when he was talking about, I think it was burnout, uh, that we have to watch how much we're self-medicating. And so I finally found it this month that for the last 20 years, smoking has been on the decline until mm. last year. And smoking for the first time started going back up. So... Our cortisol uh, is released when we're stressed. And as we have been more stressed, then more cortisol gets released. This is really interesting too. Two ways that cortisol gets out of your body, sweating and crying. So men, we've got to put on Titanic and get these tears rolling <laughs> to get the cortisol out of your body. But you also have to understand that cortisol, it actually blocks weight loss. Uh, remember, cortisol is here to help you in stressful situations. Well, what our body does is it conserves things when we're stressed out. So if you are high stress and trying to lose weight, it's probably difficult to do those things together. Hmm. Okay. Um, this is the one that kind of over the river and through the woods, but it's still a good question. How should Jesus followers respond to a fellow Christian with either undiagnosed or untreated mental illness, but still exhibits the behaviors and symptoms of that mental illness. How should we respond to followers of Jesus who either untreated or undiagnosed? I can't remember what my answer was during the nine o'clock service. You, should, you said they should consider loving people. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, that is, there's so, there's so many questions within that question. You know, it's a very deep question. And it can be really hard to be around people who are difficult or they experience a lot of emotions. Um, they just, they, I say they need to be loved, but I don't want that to be the end all, if that makes sense. They, you guys, they most likely need an ear to hear. They need a safe space to be able to share what they're experiencing and what they're going through. Um, and so I say love them as in, you know, create time for them to be able to open up, um, but it has to be a safe space for them to be able to share um, 
you had a really good response to it earlier. I didn't want to steal your thunder, so. Yeah, we were talking a little bit earlier today, and one of the things that I mentioned is that Jesus was brilliantly truth and grace. And for all of us in this room, our personality tends to lean towards one more than the other. I had a wonderful woman come up to me at the break after the service, and she says, you know, my former pastor told me that I can bring the truth too often, that sometimes I'm going to need to wrap that in grace when I bring the truth. So probably some of you can relate. We're going to bring grace and we're going to bring truth. But my encouragement was to just stop and ask God what's needed here. So often we want to jump in with our advice and what we know. And what a lot of people will feel on the other end of that is you didn't actually listen to me before you started talking. So I love this idea of, of let's have an ear and that let's really listen to not only them, but listen to the father as to what is a helpful response right here. So let me push a little bit further into that. Um, one of the things that people need, I'm not going to say more or besides counseling, but maybe more than counseling, is a good friend. We talked about that a little bit. Um, uh, the way that we say it is circles are better than rows. Like one of the reasons we want you in community is so you have those types of relationships where you can share some of that stuff and where you can have somebody who you trust and they trust you speak grace and truth into you. So is, is, is that, um, you, you said there's more to that question, or there's so many other areas, so many layers to that question. Can you go one more layer deep? Yes. I know I'm putting you on the spot. No, that's okay. Um, I wish I was well rested or my brain would be working a lot. Becca's coming back from Florida. <laughs> Poor Becca. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, with kids. So you can stop, you can stop laughing. So, um, I shared with them that uh, on the ride back home, the plane was sitting on the tarmac for two hours uh, because of weather. And Dave, my husband, got to sit next to Ben, my 10-year-old, who can regulate. I got to sit next to Savannah, my six-year-old going on 15, and that was not fun. He owes me big time. <laughs> he has. Um, yeah, I, let me kind of wrap my thoughts here. I, and I, I'm not sure what angle the person is, is coming sure. from. Um, and so I don't know if this is, this is a Lord. I don't know if boundaries might be a question that somebody is asking about. Like, how do you set healthy boundaries around people who, you know, might be hurtful to be around? Um, and so if that's an, an issue, is setting healthy boundaries may have to, like, limit your time around them. Or, um, like, small groups are huge. We need a place to process things. And so you may just need to... Um, if, it, if this is the person themselves asking or asking on behalf of someone else, invite them to your small group if they don't have a small group. Um, because I said this in the uh, first service that our experiences are coded in our brain, all experiences from birth. And so every experience that you and I have had, our brain has coded. And memories, just like food, has to be metabolized. It has to be processed. And small groups are a great place to be able to talk out life. Um, we're not meant to do life alone. We are created for relationship. And so it may be that there's just some processing that needs to take place. Good, good, thank you. Um, how do I overcome imposter syndrome at work and while living a Christian life? Unpack imposter syndrome a little bit and then 
Yeah, so imposter syndrome at its simplest form would be we can feel like a fake or we feel like we're faking it, meaning our, what I'll say is our true self isn't in the room, but what I'll call, once again, psychobabble, I'll call our false self. And that's the self that we think that people are going to enjoy the most. And we, most of us unbeknownst to us, have worked way harder putting that together than understanding who we truly are. I say this, that you and I were formed out of the creativity and laughter of the Trinity. But we're watching the guy, gal on social media and we're assuming it's so much better over there. But if all time stood still while the Father designed you and he said, I have a life and a purpose for you, then we wanna spend a lot less time looking over here and we want to dig in a lot deeper about what's going on right here. So we want to be careful of how much attention are we paying to other people and how much attention are we paying to what's going on in here. Good. Anything to add to that, Becca? Yeah, I would just add that um, be mindful of your thoughts, kind of what Bob was mentioning here. Um, because when you get to the place where you can catch, I call them automatic thoughts, when you catch those negative thoughts and you're able to kind of dissect them and peel them apart and replace them with truthful statements, it's very empowering. And again, that takes place in small groups. Just putting a plug out there. Small groups, everybody. Um, but yeah, definitely, if you're in a place where you can, can identify, I'm experiencing some negative thoughts, it's impacting me, it's affecting my performance, um, you need to create space to be able to dissect those thoughts and really replace them with truth. Mm, good. How do you handle separation anxiety as a Christian? Uh, don't separate. <laughs> <laughs> Does that, is that a great answer? That's a terrible, terrible answer. answer. <laughs> okay. Separate on occasion is what <laughs> Pastor Tim was saying. <laughs> That foundational, it's so interesting that, well, I think it's so fun that each conversation, conversation takes on a different form. And so I love that we're continuing to come back to this idea of community. Uh, teach a men's conference once a year, and one of the things I remind men of is 90% of American men don't have one best friend. Oh, Bob, that's outside the church. Actually, it's, it's inside the church. That nine out of 10 of us as men don't actually, nobody else really knows what's going on in our world. And so we feel very isolated and alone in that process. So the separation anxiety, I think part of what we're experiencing, and we're experiencing it more culturally now than we ever have before, because what people know about you is an online version. And not enough people know what's actually going on. So I would bring it back to part of the separation anxiety is just feeling separated from the culture as a whole, maybe from our church body, even maybe from your small group. If you know you're showing up and not bringing your real self to that process. Hmm. Okay, Becca, what do you think? Yeah, I, I might tackle this from a trauma perspective. Just... I work with children in the foster care system, so there's a lot of trauma 
that um, is in their background. And if we've had experiences that have been intense enough and long enough that are defined as trauma, and we didn't have somebody to walk us through those, um, and I'm thinking specifically children, um, that can impact separation anxiety. And so it just kind of makes me think maybe there's somebody that has had some experiences in their past that have impact them and when they're alone or they're separating from that, that person that keeps them regulated, that can be very dysregulating for them. It can be very paralyzing. Mm. And so it may just be a matter of, of processing and talking out some of those experiences that have impacted you. Okay. Can I add one quick yeah. thing? I would just say, too, one of the main fears in us letting people get to know us is most of us in this room at some level fear abandonment and or rejection. So if we fear abandonment and or rejection, then what we typically do is we keep ourselves to ourselves because it's okay if you reject me but don't know me, but God forbid you get to know me and you still reject me. Mm. Wow. Um, I want to I want to turn the turn the corner here and talk about um, family, um, marriage, parenting, all that stuff. But I, before we do that, um, one of the things that we have consistently heard is may, maybe not just over the last two years, but especially over the last two years. Um, OK, somebody comes to sit down and, and talk with me. They, they, they want to work through things. It is beyond my level of competence, and I'm going to do more harm than good. Hey, you should call so-and-so. You should, you should, here's some, some people that we would refer you to. They call, well, they don't have an opening for the next six months. Um, OK. When did you ask for an appointment? Well, usually at night or on the weekends. Well, why didn't you ask for a time two o'clock in the afternoon? Because your employer will let you go if you have a doctor's appointment, if you have, if you have something else going on, they're going to let you. Why is it, or, or maybe you can speak to that a little bit, um, why is it that we, we, we think that the, the mental health piece isn't as important as the physical health piece to put it at the same level and, and put priority to it. Yeah. That's not a question that was asked. That was completely <laughs> off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Bob's turning towards me. I guess that means it's my turn. I, you know, ironically, mental health affects physical health. Um, and that, again, goes back to your, your best friend, your nervous system. Um, I tell people the more flexibility you have, the sooner you're going to get in. And I understand, again, there's this stigma around counseling. Um, there's just all these, again, automatic negative thoughts that come to mind, like, oh, I need a, a therapist. Um, it is so liberating, you guys, to be able to just talk about life, to talk about the things that have happened to us. Um, and so I go back to the more flexible you are, the quicker that you can get in. But yeah, there, there is a high demand for evenings, weekends, Sundays. Um, I was asked once, do you, do you have anything after 9 p.m.? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in bed by eight. <laughs> I go to bed when my kids go to bed. So the more flexible you are, the, the sooner you can get in. Okay, good. Um, my spouse deals with anxiety. What are some practical ways I can help them? And you can't tell them to stop it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. This is such a sticky question because... You live with them, and you have to deal with them every day. And 
this can be hard. I, I say this, that we want to be true to ourselves. So once again, we're trusting the Holy Spirit to bring us what the answer is right then. Sometimes our spouse needs grace and kindness and generosity and mercy. And I do think sometimes they just need an honest dose of truth. And we, we need to be aware of what's going on in any given moment. Now, I'll say this for some of you that have been in a long and sustained battle and maybe difficult marriage. I think a trusted girlfriend, guy friend, that's a, um, a girl if you're a girl and a guy if you're a guy. Right. Let me not promote anything today from Pastor Stage. Thank you. That Appreciate that. He has to spend a lot of time that's reversing. Good. <laughs> um, I think it's just good for us to have somebody to walk with that can remind us to stay the course. And because it can get very lonely and isolating, especially when we want to honor that person, but we don't have anyone to walk with in that. Okay. Becca, anything to add to that? Yeah, I'll just piggyback on what uh, Bob said. I would say if, if, if you're the spouse that's not experiencing anxiety. It may just be that your, your spouse needs a place to process that. What has happened again in their past that's causing them the anxiety. But also if you have anxiety, you know, how it makes your spouse feel, like the truth piece of that. If you guys don't go and process that, you're going to be stuck in a cycle. And it's really hard to get out of that cycle. It's kind of a pursue, withdraw, like I need you to be with me, kind of going back to the separation anxiety question. I need you here because you're the base that keeps me regulated. But then for the person, that can feel really suffocating. Hmm. And so we just have to be mindful of if, if you're experiencing anxiety, that's, that is okay. Anxiety is a real thing. And it's just a matter of having a space, again, to, to process and explore what's causing me to feel this way, what's keeping me stuck. So what's a good first response for a spouse who either hears or sees that their spouse is, is feeling anxious or they see the signs? What's a good first response for them? Uh, I would just say, hey, I, I, notice when, I notice when I leave to go run errands, you, you get really anxious. Can you share a little bit about that? And just open the door for them to Ask talk about it. Ask a question. Okay. Yeah. Good. And don't say, get over it. You said that. Don't, don't <laughs> not get over it. Don't just let it go as an option, but like number 10 option. Okay, let's further down the list. Got it. Okay, um, come back to you, <clears throat> Becca. How do we help kids who deal with big emotions? Okay. Great question. You don't oh. sit on a plane for two hours oh, on the no, tarmac. no, you don't do that. <laughs> don't do that, especially when you're already exhausted. Um, I, let me get a little bit nerdy here. So our brains are not fully developed until we're 25 years old. And children experience big emotions because the right side of our brain is the part that develops first. And that's part of feelings, thoughts, experiences, excuse me, not thoughts, feelings, emotions, and experiences. So children are right-brained heavy. And they experience emotions even more intense than adults, obviously, because our brains are, are mature. The left side of the brain that allows for logic, reasoning, discernment, decision-making doesn't develop until later on. So it makes sense that children experience big emotions. And I know oftentimes I've heard parents say, you know, use your brain. They are. They're using the part of the brain that's actually online, if I can use that, that verbiage. And so what we have to do is we have to become their emotion coaches. 
Um, if you're a parent or caregiver, I'm gonna give you two books that are a must read. Uh, the first one is called The Whole Brain Child by Dan Siegel, The Whole Brain Child. And then the second one is more for adolescents um, because when you become a teenager, your brain completely shuts down and rewires itself, which explains kind of the, the teenage behavior we experience. But um, a book for adolescents, The Power and Purpose of the Teenage Brain. And those are both by the same author, Dan Siegel. Um, but yeah, we have to become emotion coaches for our children. And really that means walking through the emotion with them. But before you can do this, your tank, your emotional tank has to be full. And I'm gonna drop a, a, a nerdy word. Self-care is really important. And what self-care is, is you finding an activity that when you engage in this activity, it fills your tank. It makes you feel like you're at your best. Mine, I love biking without my kids. Um, so when I go biking, I, I feel at my best. Um, I know parents who have taken the day off. It's a school day, they send their kids to school. They intentionally take that day off, they go get a coffee, they walk around Target, whatever fills their tank. Because just like when you fly, you know, as flight attendants tell you as a caregiver, you have to put your mask on first because if you're passed out, you can't help the child next to you. So we have to put our masks on first. We have to take care of ourselves first and make sure our tank is full before we can help our children. But to become an emotion coach is really just validate their emotions. I shared this in the, the first service that during COVID, the most vulnerable population from a mental health perspective, the most vulnerable population were children because they don't have experiences to pull from like you and I do. So to go on spring break and then never go back to school was terrifying for them. They were grieving the loss of so many different things. And for us, it's very easy to say, it's okay, you know, it's gonna be all right, just hop on your iPad. They don't have the ability to regulate what they're feeling. So we have to walk them through that. It's okay to validate their emotions. It's okay to say to them, you know, you feel really scared right now, or, I can tell you're really upset that you don't get to go back and see your best friend, Ben. So be their emotion coach. Help them validate those emotions, and it will help them to grow into an emotionally healthy adult. Good. Um, this is the last question, then ask for um, just final thoughts from you guys. As we raise our kids, are there things we can do to help them be mentally healthy or prevent the onset of mental health or mental illness? Couple things I would offer. One is, is your home a source of joy? Neurologically, when you walk in the house, parent, and you're in a bad mood, it takes a little less than five minutes to download that bad mood into the rest of your family. So for me, I'm doing a check on my way home from work. What am I bringing into the house? Am I bringing the least or am I bringing the best into my home? And if you're bringing the least, drive around the block a couple times. Tell your best shows up and then bring that into the house. So one of the things I always wanted is I wanted a joy-filled home. We just went to Branson for four days. Uh, blessing, cursing. You guys know this. You've been to Branson. We went to Hertz Donuts, 35-minute wait. Couldn't do it. We went to Krispy Kreme. It was okay. Mm. What I just loved, 17, 20 years old, I loved the laughter in the car. I couldn't believe it. I didn't... I didn't want to be around my parents at 17 and 20 years old, but there was just incredible amounts of laughter all the way home. So I think we want a joy-filled home, and I think that's going to combat a lot of things. 
What do you think, Megan? I'll piggyback on that. Um, You know, our nervous system, our, our brain is constantly scanning the environment. And so, just like Bob said, how you present yourself when you come into the house is how your children or your spouse is going to perceive you. Um, we pay attention to body language and facial features. So if, if somebody walks in the house and I can tell they look like they haven't had a bad day, automatically you kind of feel anxious because you're not sure how do I approach them? Are they, can I say hi? What am I going to do? We have to keep that in mind as, as parents. How you present yourself really does have an impact on the way that your child responds. Okay, good. Um, ask you guys for final thought, but I want to ask you guys, what's your takeaway? What's the, what's the thing you're going to take away from today? A lot of information, a lot of questions, I get that. But what's one thing that you can take away? Either a book, um, a thought, um, maybe you shouldn't drive around the block a couple times because gas is so expensive, you just sit. So, is that fair? Fair. That's fair. Um, that one's free. But whatever, <clears throat> what's, your, what's your takeaway from today and, and how can you apply that with kids, with grandkids, with your spouse, with somebody that you know? Final thoughts. Yeah, I would just say right now, psychologically, if you said, what's one thing we need right now as a church? I think it is this act and, and COVID really forced it and it exposed a lot of things. But we've got to practice slowing down and spending more time with the Father. We are in such a hurry. People right now coming in that are anxious, they say, what's your, what's your, I'll give the same piece of advice to every anxious person who comes in my office, which you will not guess this in 100 guesses, is drive the speed limit. And everybody gets a pucker factor right there because none of us do. But you want to start to work on anxiety, drive the speed limit for a couple of weeks. I kind of want to slap you. <laughs> but pastors don't that's speed really for sure. Good. That is really good. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, I said this at the, the first service, and I, I'm going to say it again because I feel like there's, there's probably some of you that need to hear this. Um, you know, anxiety, depression, fear, sadness, that those are all real. You know, the Lord designed us and created us the way that he did on for a reason, a purpose. And so all of those things are real. And all of the experiences that you and I have had in our past, they can play out in our presence. So we just have to be mindful of that. But I just want to validate that, you know, COVID, that was scary. And I think that there's just a lot of people that need to hear, yeah, I was anxious too. I was afraid too. Like it can be so liberating to just have somebody validate your thoughts and your feelings. And so I just want you guys to know that God is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed if you have anxiety. He's not ashamed if you have depression. He knows you better than anybody else walking this earth. And he understands what you're walking through. Sometimes he just takes a little bit longer to help you, <laughs> but he knows he's there and he's not going to leave you. And that's why I go back to small groups. I'm plugging that, plugging that in again. Um, Cause it is a, it's a safe space to be able to just process life with people who love you and are going to honor that vulnerability. Good. Thank you both of you for being here. Would you guys thank Becca and Bob?